All right, here we go. Good evening, people. Welcome to the show. Got something here I want you all to know. When laughing people bring on primal screams, you've got to think of what it's going to take to make your dreams. Welcome, one and all, to Backtrack Zero Smith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette, joined as always by the sexiest man in rock and roll podcasting, Scott Haskin. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, my friend. How are you? I am jealous because I've been watching clips all day of the U2 residency at the Sphere in Las Vegas and... Even just the outside of this bloody thing is cool. I saw a thing today where it was a jack-o'-lantern and there was like a fire inside and you could see that for like miles on the strip and then it turned into a giant eyeball. And I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, how many accidents is this going to cause in Las Vegas Strip when you're driving along and all of a sudden a giant eyeball pops up on this sphere and scares the shit out of you? Yeah, the traffic has been an issue um, really even since it started construction. Uh, it's it's a pretty amazing thing. I, the pictures, I think, the, especially the picture of the eyeball that I saw really does it justice. The quality of this thing on the outside is amazing. But I don't think they should ever show fire because if it ever caught on fire, people would think it was just, you know, an, an image. <laughs> no, that's a very good point. Um, now you live in Las Vegas. Uh, why, why don't you like sell your car or something and go get a ticket to see U2 at the residency? It looks like everyone's having a lot of fun at the U2 show at the old sphere. Well, I got banned on eBay for trying to sell my kidney. I thought oh, that might okay. be a, I might get to go to a show and a half with that. Um, yeah, boy, it's, uh, it's not cheap, but I mean, U2 isn't cheap to go see anyway. So I don't know how much of that is the sphere versus how much of that is just normal U2 pricing. But uh, I, I would like to go see something down there because uh, the, vi the videos I've seen from the inside, I'm sure, don't do it justice. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, pretty impressive. We have nothing like that uh, in Saskatchewan. We, we built a, a field house where I live, which is just like a giant soccer pitch. And mm -hmm. we treat it like it's one of the seven wonders. Like, oh, my God, we have indoor <laughs> soccer. We can play soccer in the winter. This is amazing. Why hasn't anyone thought of this? Well, you kind of have to do uh, everything to be indoors, right? Nothing's going to be oh, that yeah. visually impressive because it's just going to get covered in snow. Yeah, we, we built a, a new football stadium, uh, holds, you know, 40,000. And we thought, oh, you know, we have a Canadian football league team. Uh, big tours will we'll come through and play our, our stadium, but there's no roof on it. Uh, meaning <sighs> that uh, it's only useful from like, you know, April to August. Uh, and, so, And my question was going to be, did they bother to make the roof retractable? <laughs> They made it so retractable, you can't uh, retract it back. It's just open all the time. Yeah, Here's I mean, the thing, though. Uh, it doesn't do any good uh, to own a convertible if you can't put the top up on a rainy day. No, but the, the thinking was, first of all, who's touring stadiums? There's maybe three or four acts in the world currently touring stadiums. Mm -hmm. uh, you got your Foo Fighters. You got your Guns N' Roses are still in stadiums. They actually played the stadium uh, in Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, you got Taylor Swift and Beyonce, right? And Metallica. Like there, there's not a ton of acts out there touring stadiums. And if they are, are they playing Canada in the winter? Probably not. They're probably playing in the summer. Yeah. If, well, you know, it depends because I think a lot of times it's where you can get the venues where they're available. I, I've seen some really weird tour plots where, you know, people will play the, the Atlantic Northeast and then they'll do a couple of shows in Tennessee and then they'll go back up North for a couple of shows. Like yeah. logistically, unless they're just renting backline gear, logistically, they make no sense if you're hauling your own show. Sometimes you got to wonder about the tour routing. I agree. 
Um, yeah. Speaking of tour routing, one tour that we don't have to worry about in 2023 anymore is Aerosmith's Peace Out Tour. Uh, we, we, this is going to be a couple of weeks old and people actually listen to it, but we talked about on last week's show that I had heard a rumor that uh, Aerosmith was going to shut her down for 2023 and give Steven Tyler a chance to heal. Uh, the very next day, they announced that very thing, that they were shutting down the tour uh, so Steven can get better. And like I, like I said last week, if it means Steven can get back back in the saddle and back, you know, uh, rocking, uh, I'm all for it. Like, uh, come back in 2024. Hey, add a couple of Canadian dates while you're at it. Maybe play the Sphere. Why not? Pretty cool. Maybe I'll fly to Vegas and go check out the Sphere with Scott. We'll each sell a kidney. Sure, you don't need eBay for that. You can just do that on the Strip, can't you? Pretty much, yeah. And it doesn't, I don't think it specifically has to be your kidney. I don't know that there's a, a limitation there. Uh, did they did they announce when they expect to pick it up, or is it just kind of, let's just not book anything until we see how it goes? Yeah, they're working on rerouting now and, and new dates and stuff. So I can imagine the logistics on that are going to be a nightmare. Because now you're going to all these venues again and saying, okay, what do you got for next year? And still kind of keep the routing so it makes sense. So that you're not going from like California to Tennessee to Toronto to back to Vegas and, you know, all over the damn map, right? So, Right. And that's, you know, I, I've talked to people that book tours and that is one of the biggest challenges is just the, the nights that you, because you don't want to be three nights in between shows just because you're, you know, so you, you fill it traveling somewhere, you travel back. Uh, so you're, you know, maybe two or three hours away to get an, an extra night in. That that has got to be one of the most difficult and stressful jobs in the business. It just has to be. With, yeah, without a doubt, especially when you're talking about, you know, 40 plus states potentially, right? Like yeah, uh, some bands like, uh, you know, Queen and Adam Lambert, I think they announced a, a U.S. run. It's like 12 shows or something like 12 shows, a little different. 20 what? shows, a little different. And you're not talking about gigs like the House of Blues. You're talking about like Allegiant Stadium or the Sphere, or, yeah. you know, pretty major uh, venues. So that makes it really tough. Of course, without without a lot of European bands coming over to the to the North American territories right now, what what are we in eighteen forty five? I don't know why I call them territories. <laughs> um, without there's a lot of European down there, bands, aren't they? States, I think they're called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, colonies. I think it was a couple of days ago. Um, they're not. Uh, there's a lot more open, I would imagine, because they're they're not as filled with the normal tours that we would expect. I I still don't know what what that's all about. Um, kind of weird. Yeah, the uh, concert industry is still rebounding. Uh, yeah. Tickets are very expensive. I know. I was looking at uh, going to get tickets for Journey and Toto, and tickets were going to be like 180 bucks uh, a pop for halfway decent seats. Like you can get wow. nosebleeds for 80. I'm like, nosebleeds for 80? Like, I really want to go to the show, but I'm going to wait till closer to show day when hopefully they, they mark it down, have a seat sale or something, because that, that, that's just crazy. Yeah, and, and I think about, you know, going to see a, a band like Taylor Swift's uh, show or Beyonce or something. Like, I can't even imagine, like, for me growing up, 30, 40 bucks for a concert was like, oh, how are we going to make this work? But we got to go, <laughs> you know? Now yeah. you're talking hundreds or even thousands. And uh, we're a family of four, so you yeah. got to get four tickets if you want to bring everybody. I know for uh, Metallica next year, I just got two uh, for each night. So I'm picking my favorite kid to go on the good night with Pantera and Wolfgang Van Halen. And my least favorite kid can go watch whatever fucking idiots are, are playing before Metallica on the Sunday. So, Yeah, it, it's almost like the uh, draw straws or the Hunger Games kind of thing might have to start taking place in your home just to figure out how it's going to work, you know? Yeah, but uh, everybody I, wants to see Journey, and I'm like, well, I can't afford yeah. 800 bucks for everyone to go see Journey. 
Well, I think the thing is too, especially now with COVID and, and everything else that's happened, it's kind of like if you if you get a chance, you better go because you don't know if the band's going to come back or not. Because most of the bands that we listen to are getting to that age where this might be their last tour. Well, you experienced that with uh, Whitesnake. Weren't they supposed to come around your neck of the woods on like a, a final jaunt and then that whole thing got canceled? Yeah, their very last show was supposed to be here in Las Vegas and I'd never seen them. Uh, I, every time it was just either I didn't hear about it until it was too late or not a good time to go or didn't have money or whatever. And I was so excited to see their final show and it got, and they canceled before they even started the North American tour. They were still halfway through their European tour and they had to stop. Well, here's hoping maybe David Coverdale can get his stuff together and uh, maybe, uh, rebook those dates in 2024 for poor Scott's sake. I sure hope so. And hopefully uh, Aerosmith again, uh, we're talking, hopefully what's going to be a two, three extended. Uh, peace out tour, not just the initial uh, run of dates that they announced. I, I imagine they might do something in Europe and then hopefully uh, a more comprehensive North American run. Because like we said numerous times, don't end your career in Montreal. You're the bad boys of Boston. End it, uh, you know, uh, in Boston, uh, at the football stadium, at, at the baseball stadium, whatever. You're, you're going to sell it out. I mean, get Extreme to open again. That would have been such a cool show to go to. Aerosmith and Extreme uh, last year was, mm-hmm. or this past year actually, would have been just yeah. phenomenal. And, and, you know, learn from Patrick Waugh. Montreal does not have to be the end. You can go somewhere else and start over and be a champion. That's right. You can go to Colorado, win a cup there. Absolutely. That's right. uh, ironically, though, the, uh, the fact that the last game he had in Montreal was against Detroit, where they just, you know, just kept peppering the net. And then his last game uh, in that Stanley Cup uh, run was uh, against Detroit, where they just scored a bunch of goals on him and they wouldn't pull him. And I'm like, yeah. wow, that's... He had such an amazing career. That's such a tiny little dot on it. But the irony of it being the same team both times is pretty, pretty rare. He led an eight in that last one in Montreal, if I remember correctly. Like I think so. But they wouldn't He was pull pretty him. irate. I mean, yeah, they wouldn't that's, pull. Yeah. That's just wrong. Yeah. This is a nice video well, of that on YouTube. But let's talk about <laughs> some Aerosmith. Let's pull an Aerosmith track, why don't we? Last week, we spun a big one. Living on the Edge from Get a Grip. Uh, we love that song. And it found its way, no surprise at all, onto our all-time Aerosmith top nine, um, where I think it might have a, a nice long life there. We'll see if it makes the final mixtape at the end of it all, which uh, Scott did some homework for us. And, uh, you know, we might be almost, uh, I won't say halfway there, but we're getting pretty close to halfway there through the entire Aero catalog. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to admit, my prediction last week uh, has come true. All week long, I, there's just been a moment of silence and then, we're living on the edge, just coming out of nowhere. <laughs> I said that song would get stuck in my head, and it did. And are you mad at it? Not at all. Uh, that's a sign of some good good writing and good performance. I still got Abacab from Genesis stuck in my head from <laughs> two months ago when I recorded that, ver- that episode of uh, Ultimate Catalog Clash, which just dropped this week. That's right. That call and response is a hard thing to, to walk away from. And what a great yeah. episode of uh, Ultimate Catalog Clash when uh, you guys uh, just dropped uh, side A of Abacab. Thoroughly enjoyed. That's my, been my favorite episode so far. Oh, thank you very much. And probably my favorite album that we've covered so far. Uh, no spoilers because Side B is coming out next week. Uh, we have some interesting tracks uh, on, on Side B. Who done it? I'm looking in your direction. But uh, that's, that's another show for another time. Uh, currently, uh, what we do on the show, in case you're just joining us, and actually, Scott, we got a new five-star review. Did we? Uh, on, yeah, uh, for the podcast. Uh, uh, who's this from? Uh, AMD 0313 via Apple Podcast. Uh, it's titled Fun, which I thought was a great way to kick things off. 
uh, and he's uh, he or she says, I found this while searching for content while Aerosmith is on their farewell tour. I like the host going through the deep cuts and live versions. The debates and arguments are pretty good. So thank you for that review. I thought that was great. No negativity there. Amazing. Very nice. I, I wonder if their name, if they might work for Intel or somebody, because I think that's the, uh, the name of a processor. It might be, yeah. Yeah, very nice. Well, thank you very much for writing in and uh, sharing some love. And thank you for checking out the show. What we do here is we're going through the entire Aerosmith catalog. Initially, we were going to include uh, live cuts too until we realized we'd be here until the rapture because they have so many live cuts. Uh, so when uh, Scott and I uh, kind of pared down the show, we thought, let's just keep it to, to studio cuts. Uh, so what we do is we're going to break down every single one. We put six uh, on a dice and we're going to roll that dice every single week. Whatever random song pops up, that's the song we're going to play and talk about. So... Uh, Scott has three selections. I have three selections. Let's recap uh, those for you now. Currently on the dice, we have Think About It from Night in the Ruts, Can't Stop Loving You from Music from Another Dimension, We All Fall Down from Music from Another Dimension, Back in the Saddle from Rocks, Love in an Elevator from Pump, and Something from Music from Another Dimension. So we got three tracks from their latest record, a classic uh, from Pump, a classic from Rocks, and man, one I haven't heard in forever from Nine in the Ruts. Uh, Scott, uh, if you had your choice, now we, we do legitimately roll this dice. It's completely random. But if you had your choice here tonight, sir, what song would you want to hear? You know, it, uh, for me, it's early morning. Uh, I, I'd like something to get me uh, kind of pumped up a little bit. I'm going to go with Love in an Elevator. Oh, that, that would be a good one. I was thinking the same thing, but I was thinking more back in the saddle because mm. uh, I really want Steven to get back in the saddle. And back on the road, uh, you know, rocking the USA like only he can. So speaking of Steven, let's toss it over to him. Let's toss some dice and let's see what we're going to roll this week. And we are going to come up with something from music from another dimension. While it was bound to happen, we have three of those tracks on there. Uh, not surprised at all. We, we spun one here tonight, especially cause we had the big hit last week. Uh, we're going to take a little breather here. We're going to go for something, uh, from music from another dimension. Scott, uh, do you know, uh, anything, uh, from this record? Uh, I know that this is not a Beatles cover, uh, which is kind of a shame because it's one of my favorite Beatles song. And I, I actually be really interested to hear Steven sing that song. Me too, actually. But we're not going to uh, get that. Uh, so no, I, I know nothing about this at all. This is a uh, Joe Perry uh, solo writing credit uh, from the album. It's the 14th uh, track uh, from Music from Another Dimension, uh, running in at about 4.37. Uh, this album, of course, um, long awaited. Uh, you're looking at uh, uh, studio albums. 2001 was uh, Just Push Play, and then Honkin' on Bobo, which, of course, the old blues cover was 2004. This is the album that came out next in 2012, so long ways away. Uh, the band, again, fighting uh, at times. I know the band was kind of resentful. Steven Tyler took the gig on American Idol. Mm -hmm. uh, then they kind of made up from that. Uh, they actually performed uh, the first single from this record on American Idol, uh, Legendary Child, which we covered on the show. And uh, I don't know, it was all kind of cobbled together. Uh, some of it new, some of it kind of old uh, reworked stuff. Um, and, and Something is a, a song, I got to be honest with you, I don't really remember too much. I've only uh, listened probably all the way through this record, maybe a handful of times. And like the bigger hits... I use the word hit loosely, but like legendary child or what could have been love or can't stop loving you uh, stick out. Uh, Street Jesus sticks out for other reasons. Lover a lot was a, a song that we did on here that, that I don't mind at all. Oh yeah. As another uh, Joe Perry uh, track we covered on here that I'm kind of a fan of, but something 
Got to tell you, I don't really have a memory of this one, so uh, I'm almost going to treat it like a first-time listener. Wow. Well, welcome to my world for uh, almost every <laughs> song that we've played. I do have to, to interject, too, that I have found uh, a new respect for Joe Perry and Brad Whitford. I had to record some guitar tracks uh, over a, a few days, and I'm not a guitar player. So uh, I, I play bass more. So uh, having to deal with those little tiny strings and how close they are together uh, and, and thinking about, you know, the way that these guys play, uh, I, I just newfound appreciation for guitarists. I, and you know what? Uh, all day I'm thinking I'd really like to roll Love in an Elevator just because of the solo. Mm -hmm. Like uh, that's one of my favorite, I think, Joe Perry solos of all time. Uh, not That's to tip one. my hand whenever we roll that one, but because I was I was thinking kind of in the line of, of guitar too. We're gonna get the guitar player writing a song, but we'll see uh, how much uh, the guitar is uh, present on this track. Let's uh, take a listen to something from music from another dimension. <laughs> And we start off with organ, as one would expect from a Joe Perry tune. It's classic Aerosmith, the Hammond organ. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Corey, I think this might be the wrong track. I think they're warming up to uh, some cobbled together version of Cashmere. <laughs> yeah, they, they sat in the studio and said, let, let, let's do Cashmere, but really poorly. Because <laughs> that's what people want to hear. Well, you, you had mentioned, uh, you know, the, the uh, situation with Stephen joining uh, American Idol and taking himself away from the band. I, I had heard that they were considering another singer. Did they ever put anyone in his spot and do shows? Or what, what did they do during that time? They, they never did shows. Uh, I heard that they, like, auditioned uh, some people. I think Lenny Kravitz might have been in there. Um, just kind of brought him in and tried some stuff out. But nothing ever really came of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think most singers kind of said, you, you, you really kind of go out with, with, with Steven, don't you? Like. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's tough when you replace somebody iconic, uh, whether it's a guitar player or drummer, but man, a singer, especially when there's only been one in the band in the entire time and you've had so many hits. I don't, I don't know who would feel comfortable walking in and saying, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like the guys who kind of walked in to try and replace uh, Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin. Like uh, they auditioned some singers there too, right? And it's like, really? Like Steven Tyler was one of them. <laughs> walked in there is like, like i'd love to play with zeppelin but really like you, yeah. you're gonna go out without robert plant like he's still alive you know <laughs> david coverdale auditioned for uriah heap uh paul rogers oh, yeah. uh, was was possibly going to work with deep purple after ian gillen left uh boy the one any one of those decisions would have changed the face of rock quite dramatically yeah absolutely all right let's get back to cashmere part two Oh, yeah. 
I'd say Joe is so buried in the mix that you can hardly hear the lyrics. Yeah, but the lyrics are, are is this maybe a, a style choice or does it seem like Steven really does not want to be recording right now? Well, that's not even Steven. Oh, it's not. That's Joe Perry. Oh, that's why it sounds so weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, you said it was a Joe Perry song. I didn't realize he was singing. I, I Until he started singing, I didn't know it, but uh, that's definitely Joe Perry singing. Wow, that's different. Um, it's a yeah. different sound for the band, but yeah, I, I'm not a fan of this mix. I, I, it's very unbalanced. Well, and I, I'm not the biggest fan uh, of Joe Perry as a lead singer. Mm -hmm. The harmonies he does quite well. Uh, and yeah. some leads he does good, like Bright Light Freight, but it, it was really good. But um, yeah, this one, they, they got him so buried, maybe because he just doesn't have that much of a range as a vocalist. He's not the greatest lead singer. That's why you have Steven Tyler. Yeah. Yeah, I can't really see him being a front man. I mean, he's he's great when he's just focused on guitar, but I can't see him like leading the band. That's a whole different thing. Like like look at David Lee Roth. I mean, that's leading a band, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the vocal on this one, but I think it there's there's some production issues here too. And apparently, this is uh, Steven Tyler doing some drumming on something as well. Well, he he was a drummer, and a lot of people don't know that. Oh, he definitely was a drummer to the point that he made Joey Kramer's life a living hell for the most part because he was very hard on him. Like, well, this is how I want the drums to sound. Do it exactly right. how I want. Right. And, you know, you you cover Genesis, who Phil Collins was not, you know, he was the studio drummer, but live he came out and sang and they had other drummers, some amazing drummers, uh, but uh, they had other. That, that has to be weird when you're not playing your own main instrument, but to sing and play what he plays, that just doesn't work. So uh, I, with that said, like it's a standard kind of like blues riff, right? Like just yeah. da, 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 nothing to it, but uh, the drums sound cool. Bass sounds good. Mm -hmm. Guitar set, they sound good. They're not doing much at the moment, but. Right. All right, so that uh, chorus is, there's something that tells me that life has changed. There's something that tells me this isn't a game. There's something that tells me that you'll hit the floor. There's something that tells me that you got everything you need, but all you want is more. It's a very hey, he's not Dylan. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. He also, I, I've noticed he, he's not, I don't know whether he has it, but he does not use a lot of dynamic range. Everything's very monotone and... Almost like it, it almost feels like a scratch vocal track, you know, like, like, let me just go ahead and put this down while we're recording and, and we'll have it as a guide and I'll come back and do something better. Never. It's very heavily processed too. Yeah. Like there's, de there's so. definitely a lot of vocal effects uh, on that too. And again, uh, just kind of buried in the mix. So people are like, don't, don't listen to the lyrics. Don't listen to Joe. Yeah. Listen to the music. And I think the Hammond organ is kind of overriding the sound a little bit more than it should. And that's possibly part of why the vocals are buried uh they're not used to mixing in an organ no and i'm trying to see uh, who actually did play uh organ uh on something Steven. he's not listed as playing uh organ at all hmm. uh, we have a hammond organ on something and freedom fighter by dr rudy tansy oh dr rudy okay dr rudy hmm. now i i gotta go down a rabbit hole about dr rudy 
I wonder if he's a, a professor of neurology at Harvard University. <laughs> Not even kidding. <laughs> director of the genetic of the genetics and aging research unit and co-director of the Henry and Allison McCants Center for Brain Health in Massachusetts. Wow. Okay, so here's here's what I think happened. I think one of them, probably Joe or Stephen, had to go in for some testing. And he did the testing and they're like, you know, they get to talk. He's like, Yeah, you know, you're you're an Aerosmith. I play a little keyboard. Why don't you why don't you come down to the studio? You know, I bet I bet it was some organic thing like that. Cause I don't think they were like, We need a keyboard player. Let's go down to the university and see who they got. <laughs> yeah, let's go to the brain lab. It's who's kicking around. He might be able to play the organ for us. But no, it says here he, uh, uh, he co-wrote uh, a song that's a tribute to Alzheimer's patients called Remember Me, uh, performed by Chris McCann, or sorry, Chris Mann. Uh, he also played keyboards on the albums Aerosmith, Music from Another Dimension, and Joe Perry, and Joe Perry's Switzerland Manifesto. I always hated that name, Switzerland, because it's like sweet, S-W-E-E-T-Z-E-R-L-A-N-D, like Switzerland Manifesto, just dumb name for a record like somebody's swedish trying to pronounce switzerland with a really <laughs> thick accent yeah exactly it's okay, just weird well, but yeah so now that's like good the, on the you swedish, dr rudy the swedish <laughs> chef from the muppet show has now entered the uh, aerosmith world that's right That, that that almost sounded like jazz. No one was playing the, the right thing. <laughs> that that was the worst drum fill I've heard on an Aerosmith song. I wonder if that was Steven. I wonder if that was Steven, to be honest with you. <laughs> if, if it was, um, you might enjoy playing drums, but that fill was not that. I, I kind of feel like they just recorded this song and went, okay, we got it. Let's go get a beer or something <laughs> like. Yeah. And actually, there's two Hammond organ players on something. Dr. Rudy Tanzi and uh, Paul Santo. Wow, I'm amazed that the good doctor could not handle this on his own. Well, maybe he got called away to, to surgery uh, halfway through the take, and, and this guy, Paul Santo, was just kicking around the, the recording studio. Say, quick, jump on the Hammond. So if there's like three seconds where there's no organ, we know they didn't even bother stopping. Exactly, they did the switch over, yeah. <laughs> You like that line, Scott. You know there were there was dreams I had in my corner. I made you a dollar. You gave me a quarter. I almost had to mute my mic. That was horrible. I, they can't I, all be I gems. Have words. No, no. You, I mean, this. If 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 anyone wanted to know what a filler track was, you just play him this.
I I have so many thoughts. Um, <laughs> you go first, Corey. Oh, I did enjoy it. I, I I know that much. It's all over the damn place. Uh, it's it, it's very disconnected. Yeah, uh, it, it almost sounds like how they recorded Just Push Play, where it was just separate elements stitched together. Except whoever was doing the stitching was no brain surgeon. I uh, didn't know what the fuck he was doing. It was more like the doctor from the Cannonball Run uh, trying to perform surgery on something because th- there was no cohesive flow to it. Like Aerosmith, you, you again, if we're going back to Loving an Elevator, uh, that extended uh, solo section, uh, it, it flows so well into each other. You even have a break with the going down and then bit up and up and then back into it mm-hmm. and just done so well. This is the opposite of that. It was just very dyslexic and, and it hurt. Uh, yeah, it, it, painful. I think is a is an interesting term when you have a surgeon who's playing on the song. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it. You're right. It seems like they're like, okay, well, let's just do this next. Um, all right, well, let's do this next. And there was no cohesive flow or transition from one part to another. Uh, that that first part coming out of the chorus uh, where it was just going up. I I I can't picture the song because you know when you're listening to one song, it's a lot of times hard to recall what another song is but i know i've heard that progression somewhere else i but i think you might be right about steven playing the drums because it does not feel like the normal hard-hitting kick and snare that we're used to the kick is way back in the mix first of all Mm -hmm. but i don't feel that powerful smack on the snare that we're used to so i really wonder if you're right this might be steven and if that's the case um i'm not liking his choices on drum pills at all no, not at all. I, I was going to comment on the fills because they're so, they're, they're not, a, they don't sound like Joey Kramer fills. Like no. just out of nowhere. Like earlier, I played you the video of what if Lars Ulrich played <laughs> in the air tonight by Phil Collins. And yeah. it, it's a joke video where he's hitting the reverse crash and doing all sorts of like tomfoolery and shit. Uh, this sounded like that. Like in a moment where, where Joey would just sit back and let it swing or, or give us like something big and booming. He throws in a, a fucking run and like a, just a, a, off-tempo run that made no sense that takes you out of it you're like oh that oh that sucked yeah and joey kramer is the king of long patient fills yeah this does not feel like him at all not either that or he was directed to do something that is completely against his grain uh i can't see that i don't think it's him I, I really don't either, because like like you said, l- listen to Joey Kramer on Permanent Vacation on any track on that album, and then listen to this track and tell me that's the same drummer. Yeah, and the sound. I mean, I, I can't imagine him going, hey, I've had a good drum sound on just about every album. What the hell are we doing here? But if it's not him, he wouldn't care. Well, no, and it, it's the same producers, right? Jack Douglas, uh, Steven and, and Joe and Marty Fredrickson. They, they've, you know, Marty Fredrickson produced a bunch of stuff from Jack Douglas. It's our original producer from way back in the day. So, yeah. They know how to how to mic drums, and they know how to how to, how to get a good drum sound. And it's I don't know, just not well, working it, on this one for me. And you made the love in, in an elevator comparison. I mean, think about the kick on that song versus oh, yeah. what we're not getting on this one. Yeah, geez, pick your favorite Aerosmith song and imagine the kick on that. Yeah, you know we had one last week, mm-hmm. right? Living on the edge. Yeah.
there's something that tells me this ain't making the mixtape. <laughs> and you don't need a crystal ball for that one. Um, you know, everything is just so mid-rangey in this song too, which is part of why it's so muddy. There's not, not only do we not have a lot of dynamic range in the vocal like we're used to, but we don't have it in the music either. And it was, is it just me or was that solo really disappointing for a song that was written by the guitar player? Yeah, you expect a little more, right? I, I expect, you know, Freedom Fighter, which is a song on here, which is a Joe Perry song, has a much better solo. That's, that's the good Joe Perry song uh, from this record. Uh, to me, uh, you know, something tells me uh, I'll never think of this song again. Yeah. Well, the good news is since we don't, I, I, we haven't gotten to whether they play this live or not, but uh, the good thing is, is that we don't do the live songs anymore. So if there is a version of this out here, we don't have to hear it. That's right. That's something from music from another dimension. I, I found a couple of uh, uh, yeah, tidbits it here. <laughs> it's something all right. Uh, he, yeah, Joe Perry wrote this tune quite a while ago. Uh, a quote from him says, I wrote something a long time ago, back when there was a whole other batch of people around us, lawyers, managers, that I was really pissed off at. It's a short bit of angst and pissed offness about these people that ripped us off forever. The funny thing is that 20 years later, there's a whole new batch of people I'm pissed off at. The lyrics still work. Do, do they? <laughs> and and his his little vocal part at the end there, trying to just do some fill-ins and stuff. I'm like, that is, if, if you didn't care to sing the song in the first place, you shouldn't be trying to add more words. Uh, I I was not feeling that at all. The the one you know, uh, even even during the solo part, he was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He says that twice, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you felt that. At least uh, when I, Steven's going off on whatever sounds he's making, you feel some element of passion coming from him. Is as annoying as I get, as annoyed as I get by that sometimes. Uh, I will say it's always very passion filled. This and was apparently, like, I just want to remind you, I don't like this song. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, and I, I found another tidbit, though. That is Steven Tyler on the drums, I think, exclusively. Uh, here's a quote from Joe Perry, uh, who said, uh, when we first started playing together, it was him on drums, and I thought it would be perfect to get Steven to play drums on something because it's such a simple song. Steven played great. These are guys who have been in the hospital um, <laughs> for mind-altering substances, and I'll just leave it at that. Well said. Okay. Uh, oh, we got to do this first. That's right. It's time to play. How many times has Aerosmith performed the stinker something? I'll give you a hint. The answer is not zero. Ah, fuck. I was really hoping that they had never inflicted <laughs> this on some paying crowd. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was one they played a lot. I'm going to go with uh, ten. 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 <laughs> 
Oh, Scott, you went over. The correct answer is two. Okay, well, I feel better about that at least. Yeah, they played it at Mommikin's in Boston uh, in 1995 and the Middle East downstairs at Cambridge in 1995, where they just did, and, and they were just doing whatever the fuck they wanted these two shows. These, these weren't like on a tour. Like I'm looking at the November 9th, 95 set list and it was Make It, uh, which is the quote I read, the lyrics at the beginning of the show is from that song. Uh, bone to Bone, Get the Let Out, Trouble, Remember Walking in the Sand, I'm a Man, a Bo Diddley cover, Hole in My Soul, Sick as a Dog, Something, uh, then The Farm, the live debut of The Farm. So this would have been Nine Lives uh, close to that. SOS, uh, What Kind of Love Are You On, which was uh, a single from the Armageddon soundtrack. Uh, Milk Cow Blues, Last Child Mommakin, uh, The Yardbirds, Think About It, and then Immigrant Song by what Zeppelin. So that, that was the seventh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they are. So they have heard of Zeppelin. Yes. Now we know. Oh, sure. big influence on Aerosmith was Led Zeppelin. Yes. Unlike Kingdom Come, who sound almost exactly like Led Zeppelin and claim they'd never heard of What do you mean, almost? What do you mean, almost? <laughs> oh, such a disappointing live band, too. Anyway. Oh, really? Um, oh. Yeah, well, they, they played Monsters of Rock with uh, Van Halen and Metallica, Dokken, yeah. and uh, Scorpions, and they played first, and I, I swear, it was like one of those TV shows where they just play the record, and the band is mimicking it. It sounded exactly oh. like the record, suspiciously exactly like the record. Uh, which was a disappointment because it was their first album. I loved that album and um, was really looking forward to seeing them live. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really see a value in this song, to be honest. I, I, I'm sad that they actually put it on the album. I mean, you're looking at the band and the producers and they, they said this is good enough to go on the album. I kind of feel like they just didn't care at this point. Well, and here's something interesting because it's the 14th out of 15 songs, but they did do three other songs that were released on the deluxe edition that didn't make the album proper uh songs like uh, up on the mountain oasis in the night and sunny side of love so i'm gonna be interested to hear those three songs and compare it with something and say really like you, you couldn't have bumped something something for oasis in the night maybe another joe perry song or up on the mountain which is a tom hamilton song like mm -hmm. yeah it, it it really makes me wonder um really what was going on behind the scenes because i this just doesn't stand up to their catalog for me and uh if they didn't see that or just were at the point where they just were like we've got to get this done let's just all right here we're using these tracks then that's a really sad thing for their fans and and uh their own legacy really you know, maybe you don't have 15 tracks on an album just because it could fit on a cd doesn't mean it has to be on the cd well, this would have been during the time where that was kind of the trend, right? All right, we've got 84 minutes. Let's let's stuff as much on here as we can. It doesn't have to be great. Let's just give the fans their their 15 bucks worth. Yeah. You know. And there's good stuff on this record. Uh, I can't wait till we cover Freedom Fighter, Joe Perry's other song from this uh, this album, because uh, I, I think it's a pretty, pretty decent one. But Scott, uh, something was your track. Well, first of all, I guess officially, um, do you want to put it on side A, the deep cut side of our mixtape? I don't even want to air this episode. <laughs> oh, okay. You may not hear this, folks. There you go. All right. There you go. Yeah. Tell them they might not hear this. Something uh, tells me you may never hear this episode. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm going to mark this in red. From, from production to drums to uh, lack of, of uh, vocal energy, uh, I don't think this song really has anything to offer at all, except uh, for one, one famous doctor who got to play on an Aerosmith song. That's right. Yeah. A friend of Joe Perry's brain doctor. Got to play Hammond organ on this track. That was kind of a cool little tidbit. I didn't know that before. That's all I'm going to take away uh, from this song. So something uh, has gone bye-bye, which means you have to replace this track on the mixtape. 
Uh, so uh, let me just remind you again, we only have one, two songs from, you know, pre-1987, let's say. Think about it from Night in the Ruts and Back in the Saddle from Rocks. Uh, we have two more tracks from this record and then Love in an Elevator. So Scott, what are you thinking you'd like to add to the mixtape tonight? Or sorry, add to the dice tonight? I think we need to go all the way back to the beginning, to the very root of the roots. And I'm picking the very Ooh. first song on the first album, Make It, off of Aerosmith. We just talked about that one. I just read you a, a lyric from it earlier tonight. So yes. yes, make it. All right, you, you heard a snippet when we we're doing our audio check tonight, and uh, the, mm -hmm. the, the version that, that came on uh, the Pandora's box, uh, box set. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. That's going to be a good one. I think it needs to happen. We haven't done a ton uh, from the first record yet. No, we really haven't. Uh, we've done what? Uh, let's see. Uh, Walking the dog, moving out. It. Yeah. So we and Mamakin did. We, we did Mamakin, right? Uh, Mamakin walking out, uh, walking the dog, and moving out. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, so yeah, uh, we still got. We still have Dream On on this one. Yeah. Could you believe we haven't had done Dream On yet? Let's save that one for the very end. Maybe. We could last episode. <laughs> well, you know, I talked, I, I talked to Chaz uh, over at their, their show, uh, Rush Rash, about pulling a couple of songs off of their wheel to, to have like anniversary episodes or something. We might want to consider that for a song or two that we haven't hit as well, because we're going to hit our hundredth show here before too much longer. So mm -hmm. we, we have some decisions to make. Let's tell you, uh, Kevin Brown, who did our hundredth show in the Van Halen show, had an idea for us, though. If you remember when he was on the show, he said, That's right. you should each submit a set list from all the songs, the first 99 songs you've covered, and then Kevin will pick who has the better set list and the better concert. Yes, but is Kevin, is Kevin up to handling us? If he can handle me and Mark and the crew that we got going at Van Halen, he can handle anything. That's true. And he did a, a masterful job. I haven't heard part two yet. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but the, the first part of the 100th uh, episode was, was really amazing. He did great. He really did. And just did that on his own, just like, hey, you might, you know, I got some ideas for the hundredth and we're like, take it. Like I'm busy. Mark's busy. <laughs> we would even, we were just going to spin the wheel and do a song. We're like, fuck it. hundred, who cares? But he comes like, no, we have to do a, a thing. And he did that whole thing. And just, I, I can't thank the boy enough. He did a, did an amazing job. And I really kind of liked his idea for our 100th. Let's, let's compile a set yeah. list out of the first 99 songs we've done. And we'll do, we'll put it on Spotify and Kevin has to listen to it front to back and decide who has the best constructed set list. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. What is our count? Yeah, uh, we'll have to. Uh, I, I'm hoping we can do like a, a early '90s, late '90s Aerosmith, where we can get like 23 to 24 songs instead of like <laughs> nowadays where it's like 17. Right. Uh, we, yeah. we, I, I say we can pat it a little bit. We'll we'll get uh, clarification from from uh, Kevin yeah, what he thinks, but that that would be the only caveat is we need a number. Otherwise, like you're yeah. picking 14 songs and I'm picking 13 songs, and he's like, no, 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 that's that's not even a concert. 14 songs from Aerosmith? Are you fucking kidding? Yeah, like that, that wouldn't be enough. Yeah, it's like, okay, we're not doing Walk This Way tonight because we only got 14 songs. <laughs> right, yeah. The crowd would lynch them. Yeah. All right, so you have added Make It from the first album that is going on the dice for next week. Uh, and until next week, uh, Scott Haskin, maybe let's tell the fine folks about our good friends at the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Oh, it's a, it's a growing wheel of excitement over there, I've got to tell you. Uh, we've got some really amazing shows of all different flavors of music, uh, pretty much all in the rock or, or metal realm. 
besides our show, you do a show with our buddy John Mariano called Backtracks Theme Music, digging into this is kind of a departure really from from most of the other shows because you're covering songs that have been in film. And you haven't done any soundtrack stuff yet, but you're doing, uh, you know, like uh, popular songs that have been in film. Uh, you also do, and the podcast will rock with our buddy Mark Kamire, the uncontrollable Mark Kamire. Uh, then you've got your show that you do with Kevin, the Ultimate Catalog Clash, currently talking about Genesis. Then we have Kevin, who does the Tom Petty Project, and with Randy, Seaside Pod Review, a Queen show. I have Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast. Nate and John did the Deep Purple podcast, or do the Deep Purple podcast, I should say, going on five years, not missing a single episode. I love that. Simple Man, uh, apparently the Simple Man is back with some new episodes over at Skinner Reconsidered, covering that last season that he had put off for a couple of years. Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side has teased some uh, new episodes down the road. Rye at Sabbath Bloody Podcast. We have Joe, Paul, and David at In the Lap of the Pods. Andy and Matt at Hawk Binge. Eric and Jonathan at Maiden A to Z, Daniel and Josh at Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie podcast, Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast, George and Hattie at the Judas Priest cast, Clay and Rye at North by South podcast, Greg and Jonathan at So Far, So Pod, So What, little Megadeth show. We have Quinn at End Volume for All, covering all things general heavy metal, Sav, Nick, Steve, and Mark at the Rock Roulette podcast. Chaz, Greg, uh, Chaz and Greg at Regarding Lulu, and Chaz and Chats at Rush Rash. You know, I just didn't realize how well that actually flows. Uh, and then not to be outdone by the Deep Dive Podcast Network, we have some other friends. We have Sean Geek and Fast Brett, Eric at Booked on Rock, Ken Knapsack at Pop Rock and Radio. You can download the app from the link on my website. Just click the Aerosmith Podcast uh, link and, and you can uh, scroll down. All the links to all these podcasts are there, guys. And we have Pod of Thunder. And then uh, it is uh, October and it being spooky season, I will give a shout out to my friends, Danielle Harris and Scout Taylor Compton over at Talk Scary to Me, who are about yes, to hit all. their 100th episode. Oh, good for them. Fantastic shows, one and all. Uh, I just want to throw out a quick plug for our good friend, Ken Knapsack. Uh, as you're listening to this, uh, he will have released his first comedy album mm -hmm. on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you get your your comedy albums from you can check out uh, ken knapsack's first uh, comedy uh offering uh, i'm really looking forward to that he's a very funny guy and uh, i think that's going to be a lot of fun that is really cool i you know i know a couple of comedians and i've i've kind of learned how the process works for how they uh decide you know what jokes to keep what needs to be modified and they have to pay attention to so many elements of the crowd and while they're trying to do their their uh routine it's a really amazing thing, people who can do comedy. I, I have the greatest respect for them. Could not agree more. But on that note, Scott Haskin, let's call it a night. On behalf of the aforementioned uh, Sexiest Man of Podcasting, my name is Corey Morissette. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, let's give the final word to Stephen Tyler. <laughs>